Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in uh, Ephesians 5.17 and encouraged them to be filled with the Spirit as a lifestyle. God's people are, are different than the people in the world. We are set apart. We're different because we have... Do I need this? I don't need this, right? Okay, I'm just walking around holding it like an idiot. Okay, so... Uh, so God's people are, uh, are different than the people of the world because God has downloaded the, the, the Spirit into us, has filled us with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, he tells us that we should be filled with the Spirit rather than be filled with the, the uh, inebriation of the age, the things that are around us, be, instead of being drunk with wine or, or, uh, or any of that stuff, we should be filled with the Spirit and we should be, be a people who are different than the world. We shouldn't be so set apart from the world that we don't know what's going on out there, but our priorities need to be, have to be, they have to be different than what the world is all about. And, and so it's, it's, we are often straddling our attention to the things of the world and the things of the kingdom. I remember when I was first saved, we used to sing a song that said, the thing, uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. That's been my experience, that the more we stare at Jesus, the more this world becomes not our home, and we begin to get a heavenly perspective, we begin to get a divine perspective as to what God wants to do in the earth. And, you, and when we understand that, we begin to throw ourselves into living in the power of the Holy Spirit and being full of the Spirit as we live in the world. If we really believe that Jesus came to save the world, then we recognize that we have high aspirations and much work to do. However, most of the church lives as though Jesus came to save them personally, and we live as though mission is accomplished. And there's a big difference between people who are filled with the Spirit and people who have been filled with the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? There's the ability to have been filled with the Spirit. That's as a done deal. Jesus did something in me and I experienced it and experienced. But there's something different to have been a person who was filled with the Spirit and now continues to be driven along by the power of the Spirit. So my question to us is, what does it look like? What is this spiritual lifestyle? What are the lifestyles of the spiritually rich and anointed. What does that look like? The lifestyle of the spiritually rich and anointed people. What does that look like? And I can't think of any more uh, a fresh place to look than Acts chapter 2. So if you're in Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 1 and just examine the lifestyle of the very first spirit-filled believers. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, uh, Pontus, uh, uh, 
Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, uh, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And whoever, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have no, made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke on the, resurre on the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to the fact, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to the heavens, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both the Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them to save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a powerful story of that first day when the Holy Spirit came down, the day of Pentecost. What a powerful story when we recognize that God was in the business of sending his spirit. He was taking, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon 
one prophet or a singular prophet, maybe a few prophets at a time, but never did God decide that all of his people would be baptized with the Holy Spirit so they would all be able to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel to the world all around. It seems as though God began to take this idea of harvesting the souls of the world very seriously, and so he pours out his spirit in Acts chapter 2. It's almost impossible to kind of recognize this and, and gather it all in. I've studied this for decades, really, to be honest with you. I've studied this passage of Scripture, but it comes down to three things that I want to point to that happened when, 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 that they got when they were Spirit-filled. And the th three things that can identify us as Spirit-filled believers when we're living in the power of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, we see a number of things happen. The first thing is that, that God equips and empowers the Spirit-filled church with communication to heaven. God equips and empowers the Spirit-filled church, what I would call empowered connectivity. They, are, they have the Holy Spirit downloaded into their life, overwhelming their emotional bandwidth, overwhelming their spiritual understanding, overwhelming their human abilities, and empowering them to do things that there's no way they could possibly do in the natural that God gives them this ability. We recognize that God equips them with this gift of spiritual language. And, uh, you know, tongues has always been a rather uh, scandalous thing within the church. It, it, the tongues began to again resurface, although it was uh, alive and well in the first three, four uh, 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 centuries after uh, the, the, day, the day of Pentecost. It began to fade and only would pop up here and there throughout church history. We would see some saints that would talk to the Lord in the, in, with the gift of tongues. But then in the early 1900s, in 1906, the Holy Spirit fell in Azusa Street, California. Can you put, the, can you put that pic, the, the picture that's before this, before that? That one. This, uh, this summer when we were in L.A., I asked our... Uh, our driver, who had, maybe it was me that was driving, I don't know, but I asked that we could stop at this house. This house right here is the house where the Azusa Street Revival began in 1906. It was pretty intense for me. In front of the house, it, there's a big sign that says, the comforter has come, I don't know if you can see it, it says, the comforter has come, Pentecostal Heritage Incorporated dedicates this site to God in, in memoriam uh, in memorial, or to commemorate, the, the April 9, 1906 Azusa Street Revival that began here in this location. And so that you can see what the house looked like in 1906 up there in the right. But we were, ADT wasn't protecting the house at the time. It's down and right. Uh, uh, but when we were there this summer, we were there, we stopped in front of it. We were only there for a few seconds, but for me it was... was an extremely powerful thing because we don't understand this maybe because where we sit in history, but the church was dying in America. The revival was waning. Souls were going to hell. The world was a very coarse place. Suddenly in 1906, the Holy Spirit began to fall in Azusa Street, California. Can anything good come from Azusa Street, California? But it did. This week I began to read again some of the testimonies of people who were in that meeting, those first meetings in, in uh, California. This is the testimony of uh, G.B. Cashwell. The first altar call I went forward in earnest for my Pentecost. I struggled from Sunday to Thursday while seeking in an upstairs room in the mission. The Lord opened up the windows of heaven and the light of God began to flow over me in such power as never before. I then went into the room where the service was being held while Sister Loom was reading of how the Holy Ghost was falling in other places. Before I knew it, I began to speak in tongues and praise God. A brother interpreted some of the words to be, I love God with all my soul. He filled me with his spirit and love, and I am now feasting and drinking at the fountain continually and speak as the spirit gives utterance, both in my own language and in the unknown language. I find that all he has, all, that, that all has to be surrendered to God. 
our own language and all, and he speaks through us English, German, Greek, and any other languages in his own will and his own way. A year later, I found a transcript of the first outpouring in Chicago, September 1907, the promise of the Father and speaking in tongues in Chicago. In our previous articles upon which the subject we defined the definite conclusions at which we had arrived, and now our after six months further study, we have, have little to change as our opinions of the movement. Last Jan this is a, a newspaper article, obviously. Last January, we said that we were satisfied that God had visited his people and that many were greatly blessed, while others seemed to be puffed up and injured by their experience. We also stated that the Gospel Tabernacle as a church had set aside one evening of each week to pray, especially that we might receive all that God was willing to bestow and also that we might be delivering, delivered from all the deceptions of Satan and the workings of the flesh. The result so far has been most satisfactory. God has met us and answered our prayers. On the 12th of June, at the close of our regular midweek prayer meeting, nine of us tarried for a special season of waiting upon the Lord. Vol had not proceeded far when one of our number, our class leader, a man of undoubted reliability and Christian experience, was praying with unusual earnestness, amounting to intense supplication, when suddenly the Spirit seemed to fall upon us as at the beginning. For several were strongly convulsed, and while the brother referred to, to began to speak in unknown tongues and to magnify God with a loud voice, this altogether new experience made a deep impression in all present as it could not possibly be attributed to hysteria or any hypnotic influence. So great was the downpour of the Spirit that this strong man paced the floor, glorifying God for fully an hour. By this time, the sense of God's presence was so great that another of our church officers said that he believed it was God's will to bestow upon him a like endowment of power. This brought us more to our knees where we had not long remained when the Spirit again fell upon us. And this brother likewise burst into intense supplication and a little later began to speak in tongues and glorify God as the first brother had done. This so impressed us that we began to think that it was the will of God to visit the entire company. None of the others, however, were visited at this time. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, we left the church. Again, the following Friday evening, as the company kneeled at the altar, the Spirit fell upon one of our sisters, and again, the following Sunday evening, upon one of the elders of the church. In each instance, the recipient had had the same experience as the first two. These things had been made such an impression upon our people that the church had been greatly quickened, and those who speak in tongues seem to live in another world. The experience they have entered into corresponds exactly with that which is described in the 10th chapter of Acts. The tongues they speak do not seem to be intended as a means of communication between themselves and others as on the day of Pentecost, but corresponds more closely with that described in the 14th of 1 Corinthians, the second verse, and seems to be a means of communication between the soul and God. They do not speak in tongues in the assembly, but when in prayer, they become intense in their supplication. They are apt to break out in the unknown tongue, which is invariably followed by ascriptions of praise and adoration, which are well nigh unutterable. The writer has concluded that it is new tongues spoken of in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, as one of the, songs, as one of the signs which are to follow them that believe, rather than the gift of tongues, which all evidently did not possess. We feel our spirits hushed in the, present, in the silence before God at this wonderful manifestation in the presence of our midst. We have announced no extra meetings in the church, but every night prostrate forms may be seen waiting in silence before him who baptizes <sighs> Sorry. Who baptizes with the Holy Spirit there is no shadow of doubt left in our minds as to the scripturality of, of the experience, and we feel sure that no honest heart could find anything to criticize. About six months later, there's an article written in the Los Angeles Times. It says, uh, six months after the Pente after Pentecost fell in Los Angeles, 
It had fallen in many other places where they were waiting for more of God and heard of what God had done in Los Angeles. A brother came from North Carolina and received his Pentecost and went back to his people who received it gladly. God had used him in a number of states and he, he writes that as he has never stopped to rest but is going right on. He has seen multitudes baptized. A Norwegian minister in New York received it and a crown of fire was seen on his head. He carried it to Norway, Sweden, and England and is now in India. It has fallen in great power in India and China where Pentecostal papers are being published. It has fallen to Switzerland and Australia, in Denmark and Russia, in the city of Jerusalem. At least 10 Pentecostal papers have been published free in this and other lands and God is using that way of spreading the gospel and souls have received their Pentecost through them. People have received the Holy Spirit in their homes and in cottage meetings and God has been giving the Pentecost all over the world wherever he could seek out a humble and hungry soul. When I read this, gosh, there's so much there I could talk about, but I'm trying not to talk about that. When I read this, I know of a certainty that God continues to pour his spirit out to those who are willing to, well, go to extremes. To pray on a Wednesday night until 3 o'clock in the morning. To, to stay at the altar, to come to the church when the church is closed and lay out at the altar and ask God to pour out whatever he has for them in him. God equipped that church, that spirit-filled church in the, in the God, book of Acts and continues to fill, it, it just, it just in this very first year of, of Pentecost in the United States, it, it began to spread like a flame. I talked to an old-time minister not long ago who explained to me that he was on the train when they were coming back in 1907 from the West Coast, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, and the entire train was full of people who could not wait to get to Chicago, to hit the streets of Chicago and bring the power of the Holy Spirit into the highways and the byways in the hope that somehow revival would come to the city of Chicago. There seems to be something extreme about people who want this, but we see what happened in the book of Acts, that God began to use this to empower. Peter, who was once hiding in the, in the bushes someplace, avoiding arrest, now is standing up on the day of Pentecost saying, listen, you killed this Jesus. He's got his finger in the face of those who were persecutors of Christians, and he's thumping them in the chest saying, you killed him, you put him to death, you, you crucified the Messiah, but God has sent this empowerment to his church so that the church could have connectivity with heaven, so that the church could have this empowerment to heaven. God has equipped the Spirit-filled church to connect to heaven. It makes it all the more criminal for us to not have a prayer life, because God has given such a great gift. God equips and empowers the Spirit-filled church not only to communicate to heaven, but to communicate to earth. We see them praising God once he grips their, their heart and focuses their heart on Jesus. Once, once he does that for each of us, we will be changed. Once our, our vision is fixed on this Jesus and our hearts are full of the Holy Spirit, our, our agenda will be changed. We will not be thinking about who's going to be voted into office. We will not be looking to Washington for our help. But instead, we will look to heaven. We will look to the hills from whence our help comes from. We will once again look to our God when we begin to see what God can do, not just in the 2,000 years ago amongst the specialty apostles, but in the now, in the, in the everyday now, what God has been doing for hundreds of years and continues to do and still wants to do more. This which you have seen, he says, Peter says, this is what you have seen is that which was promised by the prophet Joel. This outpouring of the Spirit is exactly what, God, what, what the prophet prophesied. Peter said that we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we may show forth the praises of him who called us out. 
the very purpose that he's given us, and that spirit-filled life means that you can't, you can't, can't be full of the spirit and be shut up. You can't be full of the spirit and button it all up. It doesn't happen like that. Isn't it amazing that everywhere that the Spirit fills people in the book of Acts, that suddenly their yapper is moving? Right? Even when the, what they're saying is completely unintelligible to the people around, as soon as the Spirit begins to fall on them, they begin jabbering and saying something. The Holy Spirit begins to work on the inside of them. In this case, in tongues, they are proclaiming the wonders, declaring the wonders of God on the day of Pentecost, and people are hearing in the cacophony of voices as the, as the praise to God is going forth, they are hearing the interpretation of the declaration of these of these praises of God, the praises of God, the prophesy, prophecies of what God is doing and what God wants to do. All that is there for us. If we are spirit-filled believers, if we are people who walk in the power of the Spirit, I'll be honest with you, as I was putting this message together, I had to stop and take a praise break. Sometimes you got to do that when you're working in the, where you just have to put the thing down, get off your chair, get on your knees on the carpet and just say, oh God, thank you for the gift of connectivity to heaven. Thank you, God, that not one single person in this church has to be without connection to heaven. Every single one of us has the ability and has been given the invitation to come into the presence of God. Every one of us has the, the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and for all those who the Lord our God will call. That's you, every single one of you. God wants to download that power into your life so that you will always have connectivity, so that you will be the person, maybe the obnoxious person, I don't know. You will be the person who just runs your yapper about Jesus everywhere you go. Because your perspective changes. You begin to say things, this might be my last time to tell them. This will be my last time to see them. They're going away. I need to say, I need to pull them aside and say, listen, God has better for you than this. Before you go out and stick a needle in your arm and you go back out to a bar and get yourself inebriated while you're still straight, let me tell you something. God has something better for you than this. Let it be sufficient to say that the Spirit-filled believer has to move beyond attending church. We have to be the church. We have to be the church. Our heart has to be full. Our priorities have to be changed. The Spirit does all that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Those of us who thought we were useless suddenly discover we have gifts. Maybe they are deposited by the Holy Spirit in that moment when the Spirit puts His finger on you, when the Spirit lights upon you. Maybe it's that moment when suddenly the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you and then those gifts are deposited. I don't know. Maybe they've been laying latent in your life all this time. I don't know. But I know that suddenly now your new agenda, your new vision of what God wants to do in your life, you suddenly everything has changed and, and, and the life Life that you were planning is, is trashed and you suddenly recognize, I've got work to do for God. Our hearts, when we're spiritually full, take advantage of this connection to God. Listen, I know what it's like to go to church. I attend services. I know what it's like. I... I have always tried, because I was raised in a church, I was always, always tried to make being in church not some routine, not some ritual, not something that I do. I wanted to be there in the moment to the, to the point that I have offended many people by ignoring them because I wanted and needed to be in the presence of God in that moment. 
one day my superintendent, while I was in a district council meeting, when I was serving on the presbytery, he wanted to tell me about a meeting that they had just recently planned to have after the meeting. And I was standing there in the presence of God. And he's a very buttoned up kind of a guy, you know. He's not cool like me. <laughs> and uh, he came up behind me and he put his arm around my, my, my shoulder while I was in the middle of prayer. That usually means he knows he's interrupting me, you know. And, he, and I was so angry. And I hadn't opened my eyes, but I, all I could think of was, who is this who dares to come in and interrupt this needed conversation with my Jesus? I was so angry. Then I opened my eyes and I saw it was the boss. And I said, Larry, I just need to talk to Jesus right now. He said, well, I need to tell you about this meeting. I said, can you write it down and leave it on my seat? Because I just need to talk to Jesus right now. And he said, well, let me just tell you. I said, I don't need to talk to you. I just need to talk to Jesus. There are times when we need to get a hold of God. Times when we need to grab a hold of God in that connectivity. And it doesn't make a difference. Now, and you notice I'm not a presbyter anymore. That's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind. Because I get to talk to Jesus more frequently. I'm okay with that. In fact, if, I, if it comes down to a choice between you and Jesus. Now, I'll, tell you, I'll give you another story. This morning. As I was reading the word, sitting at my table, my wife came in and she said, the phone rang and you didn't answer it. I said, it's not my phone. It's your phone. She said, what if it's an emergency? I said, I'm talking to Jesus right now. I'm in the word right now. And she got a little snippy with me. She can do that. She's... You can drive a 10-ton truck over a 10-ton bridge. You get snippy with me, I'll get snippy right back with you. But I listened to what she had to say. It was ringing, what if it was an emergency? And I said very calmly, if it was an emergency, they'd have called my phone. But they didn't. It's not my job to carry your burden. Don't put your need for prayer on me. I need to pray. You need to pray. Now, I'm not trashing my wife. She just had her phone plugged in. It was charging there. She wanted me to answer the phone. Well, who was it? I couldn't care the less. You say, well, that doesn't sound very friendly. I couldn't care less about that either. I've just, did you hear the words of the song that we sang? If you don't come, it doesn't make a difference. There's not enough of me here to do what you've called me to do, God. I need more. I need heaven to be poured into my soul. I need my life to be full of your Holy Spirit. I know one of, the, one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit begins to move, I just get all weepy. I'm sorry for that. But if you were as much a mess as I was when the Holy Spirit first came into my life, when he picked me, and probably one of his worst moves ever. I'm sure the HR department of heaven said, who? <laughs> God has given us this great connectivity. Poured out his spirit. The spirit is there for us to connect to God so that God can give us marching orders. We could speak to God in whatever empowering work that comes into our lives as our lives begin to be full. We are, we, what, what is laid before us is so much more than what we settle for. 
We should be hungry for it. I was talking with Irene, and she was telling me that she went to a, I think it was a wedding or some kind of a banquet, right? A birthday party or something. And laid before them was a hundred different hors d'oeuvres. Uh, first of all, oh Lord, give me that burden that I have to wade through a, a hundred different. But alas, that wasn't my burden to bear. So she had to go. Look, but those hors d'oeuvres, the purpose of the hors d'oeuvre, hors d'oeuvre, maybe you say, I don't know. The purpose of the hors d'oeuvre is, is, to, is to whet your appetite for what is to come. Christians today are like those of us who are just standing by the hors d'oeuvre table, nibbling the bacon-wrapped, cream-cheese-filled, puff pastry and going, oh, isn't God's good? And my sermon title to you today is, you haven't even gotten to the main course yet. You are settled for a puff pastry when God wants to give you a full banquet of the Holy Ghost. Don't settle for the little. Don't settle for the little. This world needs to be changed. Jesus paid the price for the world to be changed. He didn't come to save just you. He came to save you and then to fill you and then to change you and to send you out to the world so you could change someone else. Whew, man, I'm getting ready to preach now. We live in a world that wrings its hand for lack of hope. It moves from crisis to crisis. We got oil crisis, we got health care crisis, we got a crisis at the border. We got more crisis than you can imagine. Everything has to be a crisis. In fact, we are so over-exaggerated, such bigoted liars. The reality of it, we're such big liars, all of us. We won't even listen unless you have a big lie. You have to make up a big lie in order for us to pay attention. And the world looks at all that and says, oh, we're, we're hopeless, it'll never be fixed. Spirit of God sends the church into the hopeless world. These men in Acts chapter 2 are sent into the hopeless world, irrespective of politics. You notice it does, one thing I love about the book of Acts, it says, it doesn't say this, oh yeah, and by the way, so-and-so was on the throne at the time. It's like, who was the prefect over, over the, it doesn't make a difference because all that stuff goes in the trash. They're written down by Tacitus or some other Roman historian that you'll never read. And they're written down, but what you get to read is what the Holy Spirit was doing in spite of the political ramifications of the day and time. The world has changed so dramatically. The world vomits out it's poison trying to bring us down, trying to say we need to, we need to march in the streets. We need, to, we, need to pro, we need to petition this politician or that politician. What the church needs is not political power. Nothing will kill the church faster than political power. You say, well, you sound kind of negative on politics. It's good for what it is, but it can only heal lightly the wounds of the people of God. It doesn't make a difference if you have a gunshot wound and someone comes over and puts the highest class Band-Aid on it. Unless they are able to get in there and do some surgery, you're going to die of a gunshot wound. And maybe at your funeral they'll say, but what a Band-Aid the government put on the wound. We need to lift our eyes to heaven. The Spirit-filled church says the kingdom has come. Not that it's coming, but it's here. It's here with us. It, that means we have to change the way we live together. We have to do church like we are the church. We have to walk in the Spirit of God, not in the flesh. We have to love one another. We have to create such a unity here that when someone comes in, it's as if they're walking into some loving family's 
dinner. Instead, what it's like when they walk into church, it's like when they walk, like when you walk into a room with, with your, uh, your friends, husband and wife friends, you walk in there and you realize they've been arguing. You ever do that? You go visit your friends and you go, hey, I just thought I'd stop by. And you're like, what's up? <laughs> Nobody said anything, but you can feel it in the air. God didn't say to like one another. But he commands us to love one another. And so whether I like you or not doesn't make any difference, but I have to be willing to take a bullet for you. I have to be willing to bow my knee in prayer for you. I have to be seeking the best of God for you. I have to be living fully engaged by the power of the Holy Spirit to help you out. Spirit-filled church declares a way out of hopelessness and out of crisis management from one crisis to another crisis to another crisis. What happens when you live in a, wor in a world where there are crises after crisis after crisis? You become a victim. Right? You see it all around. You become a victim. You become somebody who says, oh, and somebody did this to me. I was walking down the street. Somebody honked at me. Clearly, they were looking at my behind. <laughs> Who cares what they're looking at? Are you looking at Jesus? That's the most important thing. Oh, you say, Pastor, are you being offensive? Yes, I'm really good at that. It's my gift. <laughs> what I'm saying to you is we have got to get over being victims of stuff because we don't need one more crisis. Oh, help us. We don't need one more crisis. Instead, what we need is what Peter said that they had. This is the answer to the world's problems. Listen again what he says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams. Your old men will, will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon the blood before the day, great and coming day of the Lord, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to so fill us up that we walk around as agents of hope. And so he begins to preach right to the people who crucified Jesus. Now, if there's ever a lot of people, a, a group of people that ought to be th just given up on, it's the crucifiers of Jesus. But instead, what he says, you killed this Jesus. But God says if you repent and if you are baptized, you'll be saved and you'll get the same Holy Ghost that I've got on the inside of me. Think about that for a second. Their worst enemy of the church Jesus is now reaching out through his apostles. Apostole. Apostle means to be sent. There is no spiritual gift to sit. Jesus didn't call any sitters. No stayers. The only reason to sit and stay and wait is to wait for your marching orders so you know which way to go. Well, clearly I'm worked up about this. The Spirit-filled church declares a full gospel that Jesus' teachings and life were exemplary and that Jesus was sinless. That the death and crucifixion of Jesus required a selfless surrender to the will of God to somehow to effect redemption for all mankind. That the resurrection of Jesus was God's stamp, God's stamp of vindication upon the life of Jesus. This guy who walks around living a perfect life and giving teachings as if he's from heaven, this guy has been crucified. God knows he has to sink the, he has to do something to sink in the fact that this is not just another thief dying on the cross. So what does he do? He makes him jump out of the grave three days later. 
with resurrection power. By the way, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, this same power dwells in you because you believe in Jesus. This resurrection power dwells in you. Thousands were added to the number of the church in one day. Thousands were added to the church. Revival, like we've never seen on the face of the earth, happened through the Spirit-filled church when it began to demonstrate holiness and hopefulness to the world. The gospel comes and says, yes, you are filthy with sin, and yes, your sin was embraced by Jesus, and that's what brought him to the cross. But listen, the resurrection says God is willing to give you a Holy Ghost do-over to live for Jesus. You don't have to be on your way to hell like the rest of the world around us. The only crisis is a crisis of decision. This is the hope of the world. When peace talks fail... The Prince of Peace doesn't fail. When politics are broken and they don't change, the Lord, who changes not, works to change on the inside of us. When hate fills the hearts of our leaders, when truth becomes a rare commodity in our society, when trust is eroded and gone, our God remains faithful. That is the strongest truth we can declare in the world that we live. We declare it by helping people. We declare it by feeding the poor. We declare it by preaching the gospel. We declare it by loving the unlovely. We declare it by helping, by living, by loving. We declare it by doing these things. This is what the Spirit-filled life is. Okay, the final thing, because I know I'm already over my time. Ticking off nursery workers with every second that I preach right now. <laughs> they lived supernaturally. They altered their schedule, they changed their priority, they, they moderated their agenda so they could spend time together and study the Word of God. Somebody asked me, Do you think? Jesus would have small groups? I said Jesus had a small group. There were 12. And then Jesus filled his disciples with the Holy Spirit, and then they had small groups. And they went everywhere in these small groups. They met together. They broke bread. They honored one another. They, they hungered for the Word so much. The Holy Spirit had already been poured out, but they're hungering for the Word. They're they're eating together. Somebody say, thank the Lord. They ate together in fellowship. They prayed for one another in that environment. They're, 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 they weren't about filling massive stadiums. They are about filling living rooms and praying for people. Putting your mittens on somebody and saying, in the name of Jesus, be gone, disease. And be praying for them. They were filled with awe because... Signs and wonders were being done in their midst because that's the Spirit-filled lifestyle. The lifestyle of a person filled with the Holy Spirit recognizes that miracles are today's bread. They are there for us. We had testimonies already of that today. They cared for one another's needs. There wasn't a poor person who wasn't helped for being a part of that. They were drawn together. They're, they had sincere hearts full of praise. The world looked on, and we hear in a different place, the world looked on and said, Behold how they love one another. That was the testimony of the early church, that the world looked at them and said, Behold how they love one another. They might, they might be idiots. They might be cult members. They might be, might be the dregs of society. They may not be respectable, but man... One thing the church knows how to do, it knows how to love one another. That's the emphasis of the power of the Holy Spirit in her life. And the scripture says, because of this, God began to add 
thousands and thousands to their number because you can't fight love. You can argue doctrine, but you can't fight love. You see, it doesn't take a long time to mature to this level in Christ. It simply takes a download of the Holy Spirit. That's the truth. It simply takes the Holy Spirit to be downloaded into your heart. Today, if you hunger for the Spirit, if you desire for more of the Holy Spirit, then draw near. Draw near with me. Plead your case before God. Cry out to God and say, Lord, I don't want to read another one of these old texts about how the Spirit of God fell. I want to write a new story. I want to write a new headline that the Holy Spirit of God began to do a work when we went into his presence and began to say, Lord, give me everything that you've got for me. Fill my heart with your Holy Spirit. Let's do that this morning. Would you stand to your feet? Let's do that this morning. Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.